Hello there, and thanks so much for supporting the Music Career Show. My aim with this podcast is to help as many people as I can turn their passion for music into a career that can support them and their family by speaking to people who have actually done it and finding out how they've done it. With this in mind, I have developed my music career roadmap. This is a fully comprehensive and detailed step-by-step guide of how you can go from dreaming about your ideal career to actually implementing and living that dream. It is yours to download for free and can be found in the description of this episode. If you would like any support at any stage of your music career, you can reach out to me via email at barry at oneladmusic.com. I wish you all the best of luck and I hope you enjoy this week's episode of the Music Career Show. Welcome to the Music Career Show, telling you the stories of the world's best professional musicians. Hello there and welcome to the Music Career Show. My name is Barry and every week I'll be speaking with incredible musicians from all over the world about how they've honed their craft and made a career out of doing what they love the most. If you're a new listener, then while you still have your device in your hand, please take a second to subscribe and tell your friends all about the Music Career Show. So hello there and welcome back to the Music Career Show. Now, today's guest is, he's a great lad altogether, so he is. He was the frontman for the Irish indie rock band, The Revs. He somehow managed to take over an entire island for over a decade and he's heading back to take over it again uh, and we'll t- talk about that very soon. His song, Jimmy's Winning Matches, was a staple of every Irish musician's set list for years to come. And he's also named after one of the most gifted musicians that Ireland has ever produced. This is Rory Gallagher. How are you, Rory? How are you doing? Good to see. Good to see you. I can see you here on, on our podcast, which is weird. Uh, exactly. It's, 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 it's good to see you too. But no one else can see <laughs> us. But that's okay. It's all good. So, Rory, for people that may have not heard of 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 you before, who are you? What do you do? What's the crack? Oh well, I am a, a gigging musician since the age of fifteen. Uh, and I would have just entered local song contests, played local pubs in Donegal, and then um, got into the Uplay song contest, if you remember that, got into that twice. So that kind of confirmed that I could do a bit, you know, so I got to okay. play on 2FM when I was about 16, 17, and then uh, kept going, playing the pubs, and then age 20, with a couple of uh, friends in Donegal, we formed the Revs. And with the Revs, in the first two years, we accidentally did everything that we thought would take seven or eight years. So we, we kind of hit a wall. We, we got um, uh, top two top five albums in Ireland and played Slane Castle before the Stereophonics and loads of great fast. stuff happened and it all happened too fast. So um, we weren't really ready for it. We didn't have a record company in place. And so that all exploded. And uh, nice. at the age of 27, instead of having a complete nervous breakdown, I went to Lanzarote and started gigging in the pubs again, incognito. And... Um, Fell, fell in love over there, uh, found a wife and gradually built myself back up um, using the name Rory and the Island because I couldn't use Rory Gallagher for obvious Google reasons. I, sure I, would, enough, I, yeah. would, <laughs> I would end up on page one million, you know, so it's weird where uh, when you're on your own, as you know yourself, you have to kind of um, think about brand and everything, which is very unmusician-like, but you have to get a, yeah. a bit of a brand that people can realize, recognize. So I remember looking at the charts at the time and two of the acts that I liked was Florence and the Machine and um, Noah and the Whale. This is around 2009. So I decided, well, I'm on an island in the sunshine, so I'll go Rory and the Island. Nice handy one. I so nice I started using one. that. And, and sometimes the island would have been 
one extra musician or four extra musicians, but it was just that kind of, um, just so I didn't have to use Rory Gallagher on Google, really. And then uh, after a few years of that, myself and my wife, we opened up our own bar called The Island Bar. And uh, that did so well that the police, Spanish police, shut us down for overcrowding. So we had to move to a a bigger premises. We moved to a bigger premises, and that was The Island Bar for six years. And uh, that was six nights a week, four-hour gigs, lots of Jägermeister, yeah. And uh, all of a sudden, the, the baby started coming along, the family, and it was just a bit too much. So moved back to Ireland and uh, tried to open a pub in Ireland. But as you know, you need to be a, mil- a millionaire to open a pub in Ireland. So enough, yeah, yeah. Uh, a little, uh, I think I'm rambling here, but I'm trying to get everything across. No, get it uh, out, get it out. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so we moved over to Scotland because a lease of a bar in Scotland in Edinburgh City Centre. Cara's from Edinburgh and my wife. So we moved over to Scotland and 2020 and opened up a pub which was an absolute disaster uh because of the pandemic so yeah. lost a lot of money there and uh been in been here ever since and, and that's about it fair enough yeah i, I remember <laughs> hearing you on uh, the two johnnies uh talking about the the pub in edinburgh and i was just like that's the most unfortunate thing that there has ever been where was that pub actually <laughs> it was just beside the the king's theater right in the city center so it was ideal and premises and everything and we were like yes here we go it's it's the golden ticket you know uh due due to open in march 2020 so oh, what timing yeah i know ash you're looking at it. well look look if you were going to do it yeah at least you've done it right do you know what i mean <laughs> yeah but look what can you do who could have who could have predicted that and like it is did did anybody else take over the lease afterwards or yeah, well, we, we handed back the keys after three months. We, we took a gamble, which was uh, a good thing to do because the, the landlord was only freezing the rent. They weren't writing it off. So, you know, because things weren't right for over a year, we would have ended up in like a hundred grand uh, of yeah. a hole and just been working for three or four years to make it back. So we said, you know what? You take the keys. We're gone. Bye-bye. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, well, look, uh, yeah. So it, it, it didn't end up being as, as, as bad as it potentially could have been then. Yeah, I always um, think, you know, that that's because it's such a kind of a laughed at pub song, The Gambler, but the, the lyrics are fantastic, you know, that you got to know when to hold them, yeah. when to fold them, you know, and yeah. it's so oh, true. Oh, 100%. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> As musicians, we often don't know when to do that, but sure, sure. <laughs> so uh, let's reverse there a bit then. So where did music all start for you then? Uh, my mother and father are musicians and uh, they used to have a kind of a pop covers band, you know, when I, my earliest memories would have been sitting in rehearsals, just kind of bashing on a snare drum and stuff as their five-piece band were learning the likes of Nick Kershaw or Duran Duran. And, you know, wow. they were called Pluto. Yeah, they would have been like a pop covers band in the, in the 80s. So, you know, there was always instruments around the house. And my uncles would have played in some of the show bands, like Big Tom and stuff like that. And um, so right. just, just just a musical family, you know. Um, so, yeah, the, there was no no escaping it, really. No, you, you never had a chance. In fairness, it sounds like. And did you like? Did, so did did you just pick it up yourself, or did you ever go for like formal lessons or anything like that? No, well, my my father was a really good guitar player, uh, so he would have showed me the basics. But uh, weirdly enough, I picked up the drums myself because uh, I remember my mother saying, like, when I was three years old, she got up at about six o'clock in the morning. And I had all the pots and pans set up in the kitchen, and I was bashing the hell out of them with a wooden spoon, you know. So she went, "Okay, it's time to uh, buy him a drum kit." Okay. So yeah, and uh, drums are probably still my favorite instrument. Weirdly, so um, right. I'm a drummer, drummer at heart. Yeah. Well, I never knew that about you. Actually, I never knew that that you were a drummer. Yeah. Fair play to you. Um, <laughs> and then, so w- when you were in the revs, I believe you played bass, didn't you? 
That's right, yeah. Well, that was a case of just John uh, McIntyre was just a far better guitar player than I was. So it was that kind of thing of like, uh, okay, I'll play the one note you play. You play all I, of them. Fair you enough. play yeah, all the rest. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'll, I'll back you up. Yeah, no, I've, 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 I've been in, in, in those situations where, yeah, yeah, we'll, 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 we'll not get too, too into it, but uh, yeah, good stuff. So yeah, so you started gigging then at the age of 15. Like how often did you manage to get gigs? Because I was exactly the same. I started gigging at 15, but like when I say I started gigging at 15, we were doing well to get two or three gigs, like kind of leading up to Christmas, if that was even the thing. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Well, I suppose like, you no, know, technically I would have started gigging before that because I became quite decent on the drums when I was about uh, nine or 10. So um, when my parents were stuck for a month, if they were transitioning a drummer, because they, they moved into more of the, like the country and Irish scene. Um, so I would have like learned foxtrots, waltzes, quick steps, so I could drum that when I was ten, eleven. So Jeez, I would have okay. sometimes been, I would have been thrown into that situation on the drums, you know. But um, so that would have been the start of like, you know, you can imagine being eleven and getting handed like sixty pound at the end of the night. You're like, oh my god, this be four euros. This is ancient, you know. Uh, yeah. So uh, I was like, oh my god, the amount of sweets I can buy here. You know? so, <laughs> uh, and then when I was fifteen, sixteen, you know the. Uh, the, the guards and the law wasn't intense as it was now. So I could actually start gigging in the local pubs as we all did, you know? Yeah. So, uh, you know, I would have been, um, you know, probably 16 more, more than anything. And I, I built up a set list of like 25 songs and it would have been a lot of Oasis and Travis and all that yeah. kind of stuff. And uh, mix in with black velvet band and all that kind of stuff. So, you know, and, and then, uh, luckily enough, I, you know, from the age of 12, 13, because my parents were in a pop band and didn't work out and they moved into that working well, you could say working club scene, they always said to me, try and write your own stuff, you know? So I would have always put maybe, even when I was 16, I would have had about eight of my own songs in the pub set list, which was very weird and probably annoyed a lot of customers and, and publicans, you know? Ah, but sure. Like when, when, when I was that age, I, I, and every musician is like this, especially guitar players, we're all absolutely arrogant little fuckers. And I used to, I I, I was brought up on the likes of like Van, like Van Halen is my favourite band. And I wanted to just go into the pubs in Eden Derry and just play Van Halen. And I was like, my, my attitude was, was like, good music is good music. Doesn't mean it doesn't matter if all the, the, the girls our age don't know who Van Halen is. I don't give a fuck. I want <laughs> that's what I want to play. So you, you you playing your own stuff, I would imagine, was much, much better than me wanting to just play, I don't know, the Baywatch theme song over and over again. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Well, um, it's 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 a weird thing now because um, you know, from going from pub to pub, I've noticed like so many musicians, especially in Ireland. They seem to have the same set list of 30 songs, yep. which is quite depressing, you know, because I remember yep. when I was younger, every pub act had their own little thing going on, you know, and you could tell, oh, this guy likes the police or, you know, this, you know, there was a kind of, oh, this guy likes Blur or this guy likes Luke Kelly. So there was yeah. more of an influence of, of one section on, on, a, on a pub act, you know, whereas now it's like they kind of look at the biggest bands that are doing well in the pub scene and just take their set list, which I think is a bit odd you know yeah it is a bit odd um uh, it's uh, I, I, and i can tell you exactly wh why that is because i was one of those uh it's because <laughs> it's because we didn't know any better we were just like oh well you're you're doing that and you're get you're getting paid so if i do that i'll get paid and that, that's, that's so you weren't as arrogant as me that's the, that's what we're getting down to <laughs> <laughs> well there, there there you go yeah no it was literally it was just down to a bit a bit like you playing bass in the revs it was necessity more than an actual uh, desire Love. i would imagine yeah. uh, or love yeah but um so it was was it just you and an acoustic guitar gigging in the pubs at 16 yeah it would have been that and uh i did that yeah but uh, it wasn't so bad because you know when you're from a small community like Kilcar in Donegal, you kind of know everybody in the pub anyway, you know? 
And, you know, it's, it's like an, you're gigging your local pub, you know them all, and, you know, some of them don't even listen. Some of your friends are there. You know, some people are shouting, that was yeah. shite, and, and you don't uh, mind. It's so weird. You know, you take it all in your stride where uh, probably much more difficult if you're in the likes of Dublin or Cork and you have to go into, like, a, an anonymous bar, and it's a, you know, it's a, that's that's probably the difference. Yeah, I, I, I'm, I'd I be the total opposite now. I hate playing, <laughs> I hate playing in front of people that, know, that I know. I hate, I, 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 it, it drives me demented. I do, uh, I do now. Funny enough, but at the start it was a comfort, but now it's like, oh god, no! You know, they're going to oh, expect yeah. too much. You know? No, see, I'm, I, I'm a devil. I'll give people dogs abuse while I'm playing just for the pure <laughs> hell of it. Like, um, and if if I have like my wife or my wife's parents, and I'm giving some lad dogs abuse just for the crack, it's kind of like they'll be giving out to me afterwards. <laughs> you know what I mean? So I'd, I'd much <laughs> rather play it to a complete, a, 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 a complete group of randoms. <laughs> than, than, than anybody I know it'd be the, the worst thing I can imagine so anyway so you, you, were, you were gigging away and then how did the revs come about you said that you, when you, you, were, you were 20 you sort of just formed the revs the, or yeah it was revs, that kind of the a, revs. Uh, Sorry. yeah the revs yeah it was like um, you know Mickey D uh, the drummer we would have played in a, a kind of a, a tech band you know not high tech like the secondary school band <laughs> called uh, Bulb uh, which was you know somewhere fell in between Pulp and Blur we thought it was an amazing name Bulb I think that's a class but, name <laughs> It was great in the nineties, you know. You can imagine yeah. the writing; it was nineties writing. So, yeah, and that was uh, with two two cousins and uh, Mickey D and that. So that kind of uh, fell apart, obviously, because the older lads went to college, and we you know we were just going our own ways as you do. But you know, myself and Mickey D were always jamming, and he did a one of those kind of winter seasons over in Oslo in Norway in an Irish bar with uh, a band called Celtic Chaos, and the guy that was filling in on guitar. His father was from our local area, and uh, he, and Mickey D came back and went, "You want to hear this guitar player, John McIntyre? is really fantastic, and he writes his own stuff as well." So uh, we just had a we had a rehearsal, and after about half an hour, we were like, "Wow, like we're, we're a band. We have yeah. to do something." You know, we're all the same age, we're all on the same wavelength, and uh, just you know, challenging each other, and um, you know, no real leader. It was it was really cool, actually. It was uh, yeah, we just kind of knew from then. So I just decided to take a chance. And all the pub gigs I'd put in, I just switched. I rang up the pub owners and went, listen, I've switched from solo act to three piece. Can you give us an extra 50 quid? Some of them said, some of them said yes. Some of them said no. But, um, and then it was strange then because, um, it, you know, it got kind of stressful because I'd built up, you know, over four years, a kind of a pub following. And yeah. then to go in with a band that was kind of um, based on, you know, the Talking Heads, the Clash, Green Day. And, yeah. You know, it was really different. So uh, we actually chased a lot of people and we lost a lot of the gigs that I had put in. <laughs> I know. It's all destroying, isn't it? Yeah. But it wasn't so bad because we knew this, you know, it was like playing the lotto with better odds. We knew we had to do this at this time of our lives. Like, what what do we have to lose for the sake of two or three years? So we started playing more in Temple Bar in Dublin, you know, going more cities with Belfast and uh, going up there, not getting paid, but, you know, getting on the start of a bill of six acts and just getting our name out there in the industry, man, as you, as you would say, you know, the, the the real proper, full-on, difficult, snobby Irish hot press scene. <laughs> yeah. Grant, so you, you mentioned there that when you started the Revs then, that you managed to, like, cram everything into, like, a very, very short space of time that you didn't really mean to. It's like, what, what sort of things are there now? Yeah, well, it's weird, you know, because there's this this thing that's popped up over the last three or four years, you know, on, on social media. I'm sure you've seen it. Um, what is the word again? Manifestation, you know, where people say, if you picture this thing every morning, if you write it down, it's like this oh, kind yeah. of a yuppie focus thing, you know. Mindset. And we, 
Yeah, and, and weirdly, um, even further than that, in a weird way, where like you know, if you envisage envisage the thing, it it can happen like eighty percent of the time if you really believe it. So we actually did that without knowing what we were doing because we sat in the room, in in my bedroom, and we we drew out what we were going to look like on stage. We wrote out like um, what we think our set should sound like. You know, we because it was two thousand, we said right, the nineties are gone. Let's avoid the tempos that are being used by Radiohead, Oasis, blah. You know, let, you know, we kind of really wrote out what kind of band we were going to be before we even started writing songs or, or playing. You know, so we and we kind of manifested what the revs were going to be. We even just went right. I'll I'll going to dye my hair red. You dye yours purple. You dye yours blonde. This whole you know, and and it was weird because. Um, I remember like Louis Walsh uh, getting really annoyed with us because we, we started winning awards ahead of his boy band acts and him and another London producer then formed a band called Busted, which were like a real watered down version was of that us. Louis yeah. Walsh? He was involved in the, in the process of building them up uh, no and pa- passing them over to a company. So I really do believe without being arrogant that they were based on us and, and just done much more commercial and much more clinical, you know, because we, we didn't mean to appeal to kids so much. It just yeah. seemed to happen. But uh, getting back to your question, so we, we wrote down, like, uh, within five years, goal number one, top five album in Ireland, goal number two, play St. Castle, goal number three, uh, get into the Meteor Awards, goal number four, try and get a cover of Hot Press. But, and we wrote them all down, and within a year and a half, it, it all happened, which is so strange, nice. you know. Yeah. That's a yeah. That, you 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 should do like a TED talk or something like that because that's like the most <laughs> a, fluke, ma- a fluke talk. Well, I don't know. It's it's, like it's it's the most mature thing I've ever heard from from a musician ever. That at the set at the, at the outset you were like, right, this is because uh, like I'll, I'll show you exactly. This is my mindset um, thing that I do the exact same thing, but I'm wow. clearly not doing it anywhere near as well as <laughs> as, as as you guys done it. Um, what was it like playing at Slane? That must have been class. Ah, that was amazing. And uh, it, what, what's so weird about it was, you know, when, when um, the year before, when we were nothing, we were only we were only playing the pubs for about three or four months. And um, uh, Mickey D has relations in Meath, so we were staying up. I think we did just up there for two days, probably yeah. just drinking, drinking or something at the weekend. Uh-huh. But we had like a demo CD, you know, inside the bubble wrap in, in a brown envelope with the revs written on it. And uh-huh. Mickey D was boosting me over the wall of Slane Castle because I was going to try and run in. And hand the CD to Lord Henry Mount Charles, but then we heard, but we, we, we heard dogs barking, so we're like, "Oh shit, no!" Like abort, abort. It was like something from The Simpsons, you know. The dogs on unleash the hounds. So uh, you know, to go from that to then a year later being asked to be on the bill, it was with the um, Stereophonics and the Counting Crows and Nickelback were on and uh, Doves and uh, yeah, it was, it was just. It was surreal, you know, because we were the opening act because um, MCD started realizing we were selling a lot of tickets to like 16, 17 year olds. So they put yeah. us on first uh, to get people in the gates really early. So, um, you know, I just remember there was a, like a timing error. So um, the gates were opening as we were playing our first song and it was like Braveheart, but there was like. 20,000 people running down the, the, the hill and you're like, ah, you know, I thought they were actually going to run over the barrier and onto the stage. So, and, and then just to see the little castle at the side, because I remember you two had put out the DVD only that month or something with, you know, like yeah. it's Lane Castle and you walk out and the castle's like lit up in the corner. Like, you know, so to be playing on the stage and seeing all that was, yeah, that was, that was a real bucket list moment. You know? Yeah. I asked him a goosebumps listening to it. How did, <laughs> like, but like, how did you like, what what am I trying to ask? Because you you said there at the start that you you didn't have like any sort of like label back, and did you have like proper management, or did you literally just kind of like as you say, completely fluke it? No, well, it was um, 
one of the competitions we entered was like a kind of a hot press battle of the bands. And it was all these bands that were already had like sly development deals with Polydor and um, Universal and, and Sony. But we were unsigned, you know, and just I think because the crowd response was so good and maybe the judges were overcome with honesty. You know, we did go down the best every night and our songs were stronger than a lot of the the seven minute wank that some of the other bands were doing, you know, so it just came across really well. And um, one of the, one of the judges on the night was Robert Stevenson, who used to run blast beat in Dublin. And he had a small record label called treasure Island. So one of the prizes was to release a single on his record label. So right. we were kind of, um, we, we got uh, hoovered up straight away accidentally by an indie label. And, you know, we, we probably should have thought it through more, but we, we kind of, at the start, we liked Robert and his enthusiasm and the fact that he used to work with uh, the likes of U2. He was, he was, he lived in Kalini, so he was like next door neighbor of Bono's and, yeah. uh, you know, he, he got U2 their first gigs in London in 1979 and he was tour manager with The Cure in South America for four or five years. And so, you know, just to have that pedigree behind you. So, yeah. um, he, we released our first single and the first single was Wired to the Moon and it went into the top 20 you know it was just a good release and um yeah. he did a good job and he spent a lot of money uh getting us a really good video producer and, and at the time videos mattered you know so it, it got I on to like um all those uh pop tv that used to be in ireland and dave fanning's you know morning sunday morning program and yeah so i mean it just it kind of fell into place from that and you know unfortunately because we were with treasure island he wanted to make his record label bigger instead of you know trying to get us a deal with universal or something you know so it, it you know it kind of imploded yeah oh that's a, that's unfortunate so how did um how how did it all end then uh it ended really with uh, you know we, we broke away from robert eventually um about three years into you know it was about 2004 and uh we, we actually signed a deal in australia just with um, a one album deal in australia we signed a one album deal in germany it was a guy who was a cousin of John's from the band, and he was starting to right. do music management. He was managing uh, Mickey Joe Hart at the time, who won the oh. Euro, or the yeah Eurostar. Oh, and yeah, he, yeah, I, yeah. I, I, the, we've got the world tonight is like literally the soundtrack to my entire life. <laughs> I, I, I love it. <laughs> so uh, he was managing Mickey Joe Hart. So he just said to us, you know, you know, I can help you out here. Started getting us like little random deals in Belgium, Germany, but but it was that thing of like because we'd started off so strong in Ireland, you know, we, it's weird where we instantly went from like 300 quid uh, for a, for a gig to like four or 5,000 euro for a gig, you yeah. know? So, you know, to go from that, you know, luxury and like, you finish a gig and by the time you paid roadies, hotels, blah, blah, you were like had a thousand euro in your pocket to go from that to playing in Germany in the winter where you're finished a gig. By the time you paid everything, you have about 20 euro in your pocket and you got to go yeah. to Dresden. And then you got to go to Munich and see if we had started off like that, that would have been the dream, you know, because when you say that to a 19 year old, they're like, Oh my God, imagine driving around a van, Belgium and Germany and Holland. And you know, you're getting free beer and you're getting, uh, you come home with a couple of hundred euro. But for us, we were starting to turn 26, 27. Some of our friends were, you know, getting mortgages. They were, you know, yeah. and all of a sudden we couldn't afford to buy a proper round in the pub when we went home. It was embarrassing. So, it's yeah. just kind of the, the stress of life, really, and money. And, you know, it's terrible, too, because some bands, they, they hold tight through that bad three-year period and they come out the other side and it works like, you know, Elbow or Red Hot Chili Peppers or, you know, the, yeah. you know because there is that bad three years you go through as a band, but we just didn't make it. You know, I think we were just getting on each other's nerves and we, we, we'd seen... Um, 
we'd seen too much at the start. It was too too many good times at the start, you know. Yeah, no, I I know exactly what you mean. I was uh, I I'm I'm going through that now in 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 one way in that um I'm sick to death of gigging. I'm absolutely sick to death oh. because I, I used to do about six seven gigs over a weekend just here in Aberdeen, and yeah. I've I, I've got a daughter now and she's seven months old, and the thought of finishing up like I'd run a music school during the week and, and do this and stuff and I'm trying to branch out to other things and getting I'll, I'll get to the end of the week I'll get to Friday and I'll be knackered from exerting myself so much during the week as more more so than I would have been any other job that I had up until now and the yeah. thought of having to go out on a Friday night and the thought of even having to drive to a gig on a Friday night I'm just like nah nah I can't, can't be done with it so um, yeah. I, 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 I feel you I feel it. It's it's, it's hard when you when you lose the love uh, when you lose the love of it. Like and it it does become a job um, as a and you kind of forget that it's 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 meant to be fun. But hey ho! But um, it worked out for you in the end clearly because you went on and you took over Lanzarote. How did that happen? <laughs> well, I wouldn't go that far. But well, I would I, because uh, I was I was nineteen, living in Spain, uh, living in Salou, and I didn't yeah. even know the fields of Athenry, but I knew of Rory and the island. <laughs> That's mad. Yeah, so <laughs> there you go. <laughs> I would have. Um, I suppose I just went back to square one when I was doing when I was sixteen. Um, we, like the Revs, one of our last gigs was a, a gig called Landsaid, which was a charity uh, fundraiser uh, in Puerto del Carmen, and it was organised by Charlie's Bar, which was a really big bar at the time. And uh, one of the staff of Charlie's Bar that was helping us out at the festival was Cara. So that was my wife now. Yeah. So I, so I, we arrived over. We were actually, we were playing before Johnny Logan. What a lineup. That's so we're just, I've just been, been followed by the Eurovision everywhere, you know. Yeah, so, it was, uh, yeah. so it was the Revs followed by Johnny Logan, which was the weirdest, you know, because obviously like social media, people knew we were kind of a punky indie band. So there was all these 16-year-olds with piercings and, anthrax t-shirts and you know up the up the front and then lots of like um middle-aged women with handbags <laughs> w- waiting for johnny you know so it was uh yeah it was a weird but it was just a, such a great weekend and i remember after the gigs you know you go into a bar at one o'clock in the morning and you know you're, you're playing all the old standards on the guitar and it's just great crack and i was going Do you know something like i've missed doing this because it becomes really stressy in a an indie hot press enemy type band where you only really play for an hour 45 or 45 minutes because you're on a bill of three bands it has to be as cool and intricate as you can you can't say anything too natural into the mic or you couldn't it's changed a bit now but yeah. you know and it was just really stressful and it was all about ladder climbing and you know what producer you were using and you know wh- where did you record what studio and uh, you know what were your influences and you know that you know you had to be so uh, deep and had to be all like the velvet underground and radiohead and the yeah. clash and you know that it, you couldn't actually go do you know something sometimes it's just like a good night out you know it's like, yeah. so and, and Lanzarote was a good night out so yeah uh, I met Cara uh, who was working with the festival committee as part of Charlie's setup and um, I just it, it's terrible to say it but instantly kind of fell for her you know fell in yeah. it's terrible to say you fell in love with your wife <laughs> but, I know it's awful it's all together but I uh, so you know every time there was like a 60 or 70 euro flight Ryanair, I would, you know, a month later, I would go back over and see Cara and she was working in a bar called the Brian Brew. And she's like, you know, instead of like losing this money every few weeks, why do you not just do a couple of gigs when you're over here? And I was like, oh, I'd be too embarrassed. You know, uh, I couldn't do that. And she's like, oh, don't be silly. Like, you know, nobody's going to know who you are in the corner. And it's so true, you know, yeah, like, yeah. Uh, you know, I, I don't know why I was more disgusted the first night I did a gig in the Brian Brew that like, 
you know, I was so happy because nobody knew me and I was so raging that nobody knew me. <laughs> so so you, I, you were sitting up there fucking peasants. How do you not know me? I'm Rory yeah. Gallagher. <laughs> I was on the cover of Hot Press two months ago. Hey. But uh, yeah, so I was like, um, you know, just playing all cover songs, throwing in some of my own. And uh, all of a sudden I just realized, you know what, the, the revs were not getting enough work. We're falling apart. Uh, and I, I've really fallen for Cara. So I just decided to make the move to Lanzarote. That would have been around the end of 2006 and um, just started playing all the pubs again and uh, and just really fallen in love with music. Kind of like, um, you know, I'd gone full circle of what we were just talking about five minutes ago where I hadn't played kind of rough and ready pub gigs for so long and played covers that I like, you know, yeah. um, and it was just lovely to be back in that again. And uh, it is that weird thing of faraway hills are always greener because... You know, after like six, seven years of doing that, it was like, oh my God, I'm so sick of playing the pubs. <laughs> so you can't yeah. win, you know? <laughs> no, you can't win. No, no, we're never happy, are we? No, variety is the spice of life. That's what we Absolutely, like. absolutely. No, I, I was only, I don't know, I was only, I said that to myself yesterday and I don't even know what it was about, but I literally said those exact words, variety is the spice of life. Um, so did you manage to get um, like, uh, a residency or was it just you were, you, were, you were basically just doing the same as you were doing in Donegal only it was in Lanzarote like here's me dates for the year or what was the crack uh, no it's that kind of thing where like you know if you're coming across well and people are enjoying you you kind of start to get poached as you know by like some yeah. of the, the bigger bar owners so uh, I would have played down in Buddies as a residency that was in the old town of Puerto del Carmen and then I was offered more money to go up and play in Charlie's which is like the main spot so I started playing up there with a, a Brazilian percussion player who's brilliant called Claudio and uh, nice. so I was I just and that's kind of really where I built up the basis of um, you know a really good following Facebook was just becoming big around 2008 2009 and yeah. you know I was one of the first people to kind of push myself more on that because I realized that there's something to this you know it's like uh, you know you're bypassing your agents managers record companies you're just going directly to the people you know yeah so uh, I really started concentrating on like pushing nice photographs of Lanzarote, nice sunny videos, just getting it across. And because a lot of the time people are in bad weather for six, seven months at home and, yeah. you know, just to, to click on this escapism, you know, and that's kind of what the Island was meant to be anyway, like Rory and the Island is just absolute escapism, you know? So, um, you know, that, that's really where it went. And I was playing Charlie's for years. And then I remember just myself and Cara went, you know, something I've built up like thousands of people that know me on Facebook and, Let's let's take a chance, even though we're going to be hated by other bar owners. Uh, let's let's take a chance and open up our own place, you know. So we did. Ah, right, good stuff, and 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 the rest is history, as I say. What about um, Jimmy's winning matches? How did that come about? Well, I, well, I know I I pretty much know how it came about because it's the first All Ireland I ever actually remember paying attention to because I was never in the sport uh, <laughs> growing up, and it was when I first heard about the Mayo Curse um, <laughs> and, and all that. But like, how so? What, talk to us about Jimmy's winning matches. Yeah, that would have been um, obviously like uh, Bamba. The, he called himself Jimmy Barry Murphy. He's a bit of a legend around Lanzarote. Just one of the, the best lucky, lucky men, you know, and yeah. he uh, sells all the best genuine fake Rolex and the sunglasses. And, you know, all these guys from Senegal yeah. and yeah. Uh, just brilliant uh, charisma and gift of the gab. And he's one of those that sat down with the maps of, you know, Ireland and the UK and, and learned as many towns as possible for each county. So he used to come into Charlie's when I was playing or into the Crack and Kill. And he would come up and do three songs. And he did that in most bars every night. And I just thought he was a fascinating character. So I wrote a song called Jimmy Selling Watches. And I thought, this is, this is such a hit. And put it up on YouTube. And it got about 400 views in a month. And I was like, ah, this has gone so bad. Amazing. And then my, my, my mother said, like, um, you know, um, Johnny Gall are, are doing so well at the minute. And uh, 
why do you not change it, uh, rewrite it for Jimmy McGuinness, the, the Donegal manager? Yeah, yeah. And I thought, that's a brilliant idea, Mammy. Thank you very much. Well, so, well, well Mammy got her. That's yeah. a great idea. Yeah. So sat, sat down for a good 10 minutes and, um, and just rewrote it into Jimmy's winning matches and, um, sat down with Jimmy on the beach and did a live take. And it was, I think it was just the second take we did put that up that evening and um, within the space of a month that had about 200,000 views. So that's, that was the one that was the key. You know? That's amazing. I remember playing that. I I, <laughs> I played that myself in, in Danny boy in Salou. Um I think we, were, we must've been playing. We must've been playing that the, the evening of uh, when, when Donegal bet me off. Um, it was. It was. It was Donegal and Mayo in the final, wasn't it? That's right. Yeah. 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 I, I, I'm nearly certain that we. Well, we, know, we definitely did play it. Play it that night. So, um, yeah, we we all thought it was brilliant. That it was just essentially our counterpart across in, in Lanzarote had made this huge, um, huge impact um, with just a, a very, 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 very simple song. Just very, just, just, just a bit of crack, like, and uh, it was, it, it was brilliant. And we, we played it. We, we then played it for for years to come. Like, um, I've often had people ask me for Jimmy's winning matches. It was actually I was playing in in Aberdeen about six years later, and I had this family from I think we're from Hungary or something like that. Happened to be in Aberdeen in the same pub that I was playing on a, a Sunday afternoon and it says, oh, do you know that one Jimmy's winning matches? And I was like, no way. I was like, they, remembered me from, <laughs> they remembered me from Salou for starters and then they remembered Jimmy's winning matches. So there you go. Wow. Um, you're, you're, um, you're heading back to Lanzarote though, aren't you? To open up a new bar. What's the crack? Yeah, well, just, it's really weird because, uh, you know, it's, it's kind of cool on the show where, you know, you talk about just being a, a career musician and just staying alive in the music industry and, I think with the inflation and what what's going on, like you really have to think outside the box. So, you know, I was actually having a really good time. I was driving, doing gigs in uh, Donegal, Belfast, Cork, Limerick, and I was going to London, Manchester, and, you know, Liverpool, and driving all over the place. And next thing, as the months went on in the last year and a half, I started looking at my, like, um, outgoings, and I was like, oh, my God, like, you know, I'm spending, like, 150 quid on fuel here. Uh, you know, just, just to go on Stena is 230 quid return. I was going like, this is, this is insanity. And it's like, um, you know, it got to the point where like I had to sell, you know, 180 tickets at a gig to make it worth, worth worthwhile. And, and maybe to two of those in a weekend. And that's really difficult when, you know, uh, John Dunford, Sharon Shannon's manager, he had said to me, you know, when you're finishing Lanzarote, be careful not to play the same city more than once in a year. And I was like, that's nonsense, you know, and, and I realized he's so right. You know, it's like you need to leave that gap for, for people to have the hunger to buy tickets to go and see you again. Because yeah. obviously, you know, if you if you kind of go into the pub scene, you know, you're kind of capping yourself at 150 quid a night. So, you know, there's no point traveling anywhere except your own town. You yep. know, so uh, you know, whereas like if you sell, uh, say, you know, 120 tickets in Luton and 150 in London, that's a good Friday and Saturday night. You know, if you're getting a tenner a ticket. And you go yeah. down to the gig, you know, by the time you're done the hotels, the food, the blah, 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 you're coming home with a lovely, with a nice little lump sum that'll do you for two or three weeks, you know? Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> God, I'm losing my voice here. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, um, yeah, so, you know, Cara had said, I, I, I put up like, I'm going to go back to Lanzarote because I haven't been there in four years and I'll do five gigs in the Spinnaker Bar. They're friends of ours. It's like a Donegal Bar. So I put up the post and it got like twice the reaction of some of the posts that I put up about doing gigs in Donegal or Dublin. And I was like, wow. And all of a sudden the bar, um, Garrett from the bar rang me and he goes, listen, I know this sounds ridiculous, but we're going to have to like charge per seat. 
And I was like, oh God, you know, people don't like play, paying into gigs on holidays and I've never charged in Lanzarote. And he was like, no, yeah. it's going to it's gonna be carnage if we don't. So I was like, okay. So I just put up, really sorry folks, but it's going to be a tenor seat just to, so everybody can see the stage. It's not too crammed and blah, blah. And within 48 hours, all the tickets sold out, like 500 tickets. And I was like, wow. oh my God. I was like, okay, people still connect me with Lanzarote. So there's something here. So Cara was like, you know what? If we get a small uh, bar that's like, doesn't have too big of overheads, um, Avian and Paul, who are our friends, and Paul had been bar manager in the island for a while. They're moving over to Lanzarote anyway to try and open up a pub. So let's join them in their quest where like you put your name to it, you just go over. And, uh, you know, it's so strange because I was scoping EasyJet Ryanair. And if you time it right, you can get over there for four days and back for about 60 quid, you know, right. because that because was- I'm, I'm leaving a guitar and stuff over there. So it's like just thinking outside the box, really, where, you know, uh, you would never have thought of doing stuff like this 15 years ago, 10 years ago. But now when you go, OK, I can get over and back to Lanzarote for 60 quid or I can drive and do a gig in Dublin for 500 quid. You know, what is, <laughs> yeah. and the, the worst thing is I'm driving. So like, you know, car is going to drop me to the airport. I'll have a gin and tonic, sit in the plane, have another gin and tonic, fall asleep for three hours, wake up and gig for four days in the sunshine and come home. It's not a bad deal. you know. It's not <laughs> a bad deal. I, I couldn't agree with you more. It's, it's, uh, I, I, I've gotten to the point where I won't take any gigs that I need to take a PA system to now. I would sooner yeah. drive into town and just park up the car and just like, or, or even just get the train into town, do me gig in town, have a have a lash of pints, then drive two minutes down the road where I have to set up the PA system. Do you know, know what I mean? It's it's all swings and roundabouts. So you're 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 a hundred percent right. Um, and what's that? What's so what's that pub going to be called? And when's it open? Well, it's actually it's open at the minute on the sly because we're just getting the the beer taps in, in order and we're getting um, you know the tills set up and everything. It's Rory's Corner Bar. It's just beside uh, Burger King there in Port Del Carmen. So, uh, but it's officially open on the thirteenth of January. But uh, at the moment now, oh, thank you. No, it's been going for two weeks, and uh, so far so good. Good stuff. And you have a music in there at the moment. Yeah, we're, we have um, like a, a guy I used to play with on the island, Pedro. He's in a few nights, a great friend of mine from, from the Canaries. And uh, Mick Gary, who we were saying is a mutual friend. Mick's going to do yeah. a few yeah. nights. And um, yeah. there's uh, Jackie Brennan, an Irish singer. And, you know, just um, the thing about it is it's, it's a really handy little, it's a cushy little number, as they say, because we're only running gigs from seven until nine. Uh, so oh. it's like a sun, sunset gig, Ibiza type thing. So it's that kind of thing that just bumps up a working musician's nightly wage. So you say to somebody... Listen, before you go to do your normal gig at 10 o'clock, do you want to you know, do an hour and a half an hour place and we can give you X amount? And they're like, oh, handy enough. Sure. What else would it be doing? You know, so exactly, we, yeah. we're, we're not going for that madness that was there in the island bar of like going till three o'clock in the morning. And, you know, so it's mm-hmm. the kind of place that like sunset gigs, uh, a couple of tunes, bit of football, and, and it's kind of on the wind down by half 11 at night. You know, so it's, it's a nice little, op- it only holds about 60, 70 people. So it's a handy wee operation. But sure, that's that. That's all you'd want. That is literally all you want because you, you know yourself. A small place like that, 60, 70, 70 people. If you're going past eleven o'clock, heading towards twelve and one, people will turn that place upside down. Exactly. Uh, very, very easily. I've often, I've often played and played. I, I, there was one little spot that I played in in Slough that was quite like that. Patrick's Bar. It's not there anymore. Um, that Mick Gary used to play in as well. So Mick, wow. if you're listening, how are you getting on? Um, <laughs> but I remember one night we played in there and we finished up at about two o'clock in the morning. I've playing for like five hours and I took my t-shirt off. 
off and I wrung it out. Yeah. And the place was upside down. It was four o'clock in the morning before they ever got out. And it was only like you it mightn't have even been sixty or seventy uh capacity. It might have been even like thirty or forty, to be perfectly honest. And yeah. So you're 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 dead, right? And 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 that's that is there's an awful lot to be said for bumping up a musician's nightly uh takings if you're gonna be out anyway. Do, exactly. Do you know what I mean? Go, uh, go, leave the house two hours early and bump it up. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and it's often those little bumper ones that 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 will make the difference. Um, you've been quite busy since uh, lockdown started with your live streams, and you're pretty much one of the only ones that I've seen that you're, you're still on the go, aren't you? With your live streams, I do. Yeah, well, it's it's that weird thing of you know I was waiting for it to, to to die down, you know, and it did die down. Of course, it's like half of what it was because people are out and about and rightly so you know but I, yeah. I still maybe I said to the people because a lot of people were like oh we really enjoy these and and some of the people that became like um, a kind of a club for them a social club of like interacting with people and they'd be chatting away while I'm singing and they said yeah. oh we really don't want to lose this you know we've built up friends in Australia and Canada and New Zealand and Germany and so it was like a little club so I said well I could do one every two weeks and I tried yeah. that but I just found it was too exhausted from you know going to London or Liverpool or Dublin and all this so I it kind of went down to three weeks and, and now at the minute I'm, I'm kind of doing one a month. But what's happened is uh, I just took this chance of going, do you know what? Because I'm, I've got this new bar in Lanzarote, let's see if I do like when I'm not there, a live broadcast on Facebook and we'll put it up on the screens in the bar because it's Rory's Corner Bar anyway. So people will be like, they, oh, you know, so we're, so we're actually broadcasting into the bar and I can see people on the CCTV on my other screen. So I can go, how are you doing there, Joe, at the bar? You know, so it's like, it's very futuristic. That's so, amazing. Yeah, so that, I'm actually, that, that, that. I'm, I'm sitting in my shed in Scotland and waving at people in the bar in Lanzarote and playing a request for them. And so I'm going to start doing that probably every two weeks now. And uh, yeah, so it's weird. The little things that came out of lockdown that would have never happened before, you know. I know, yeah, it it is amazing that uh, all, all all these things. Well, they were a negative, and all of us were sat at home, like for you know yourself, musicians. Our our income was just gone immediately, um, and having to adapt. And you, you you're right, all the things that, that did come out of it, um, it's it 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 it's it's left us better anyway. Um, I think I I I think as a whole, but um, yeah, that that. That's a brilliant idea. I love that. I absolutely love that. I, I was wondering how you could make that because I ha- make that happen because I was thinking, it's like, surely be to God, no, if I'm live streaming into someone's house from Aberdeen and they're watching me in Cancun, wherever, surely be to Jesus, there's a pub in New York somewhere that would like, because they're behind or something or a pub in Australia because they're <laughs> they're ahead of us. So I could do a gig at nine o'clock in the morning. They could pay me in Australia or something, but that's um, <laughs> that's brilliant. That's absolutely fantastic. But you also this year you released an album and an EP, didn't you? I did, yeah. It was um, probably just from the success of the online gigs. I probably just released the album and the EP actually just a little bit too late because it was just because when the world had reopened, you know, you know, at one stage in the the lockdown, I just uh, really early on in the lockdown, just to help bump up some money for for the mortgage and whatnot. Yeah, I just put out a CD. And I uh, sold um, about like a thousand CDs in the space of six weeks, which never happens. Just going to the post office every day going, ah, <laughs> so, um, you know, and um, that was around 20, the end of 2020. So an indie label in Dublin, which was actually Shay I was talking about from the, the Revs days, he, 
set up a little record label. And he's like, do you know something? Why do you not take all your kind of classiest songs, you know, your better ones, and put it on like a nice 10-track vinyl and put that out? And uh, yeah, went into number eight in the Irish indie charts. And some of the singles went to number one on iTunes for a day, as they do. You're king for a day, and all of a sudden, you're you're not far. It doesn't take long to drop out of the top 20. But uh, no, and they got like a playlist at an RTE and stuff. So it was really nice kind of just to have a little nod back into the scene. It's really weird in my life. It seems to come in decades where like the Revs in 2002, we were quite big. And then 2012 was Jimmy's winning matches. And then uh, 2021, 22, I seem to have another lease of life. So it's like every 10 years, I get a little friendly kick up, kick up the arse from God or something. Aye. You know? Well, here's the 2032 in that case. God knows what <laughs> you'll, be doing. you'll be doing a live stream from fucking space or something. <laughs> yourself and... Uh, Elon Musk on drums. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. <Yeah. laughs> well, uh, Tony, before we head into uh, a, a quick fire round then. Uh, oh, no. First of all, um, where can people find the album and the EP? What are they called? Oh yeah, it's uh, Center Falls Apart is the album and uh, Center Comes Together is the EP and they're both on Spotify and all that stuff that you don't make any money from. No, <laughs> but, but if you I'm, want to actually, they're, they're in uh, Golden Discs in Dublin if you go on the website, if you want the fancy vinyl, which I think you should go for because I might yeah. actually make a fiver. <laughs> exactly, yeah, yeah. So there you go, everyone go out and buy Rory's vinyl. That sounds like a, a great idea. So before we, uh, or that, that sounds like a great help. So um, before we head into the, the quick fire round, for Rory, you've done pretty much everything in the industry at this stage. For anyone, for little Rory sitting at home in Kilcar and Donegal, what advice can you give them to start out in in, in music today? Uh, I would say uh, don't panic until you're like 24 because you can restart your life at any stage after 24. Nobody really cares, you know. Yeah. Uh, you're, you're meant to be like, you know, drinking tins of beer and eating you know tins of beans it doesn't matter yeah. you know, everybody's a student then anyway so don't worry about becoming too overly slick and professional at the age of 18 19 just be really creative uh, really different enjoy it and, and you know if you do what you love it's the oldest saying in the book if you do what you love you're not working you know and yeah. people say to me like oh you must be so exhausted from your work but I, I love a lot of what i do so i don't get exhausted because i, I really enjoy it you know so do what you love and you won't work a day in your life my uncle said that and he was a heroin addict so <laughs> I look, yeah, fair enough. Look, make, make of that what you will. Um, fair enough, yeah. That's uh, I'm a, I'm a, that's, a, that's a Frankie Boyle joke, by the way. That's, not, that's oh, true. is that all right? <laughs> I was thinking there, Uncle Gallagher over there, and he in the corner. Anyway. <laughs> on smack. That's <laughs> <laughs> crazy. Anyway, right, well, that's that's um, that's 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 proper solid advice, and I couldn't agree with you more. To, just enjoy it. Enjoy it's 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 you, you start playing music because it's fun. It's something to do. It's something fun to do, and you should never ever ever um, forget that. And as soon as you do start forgetting it, then you you should panic and panic in a big, big, big way. And do nothing else but panic and get stuck in your head <laughs> and and get riddled with like anxiety and and imposter syndrome. But up until then, you're grand. <laughs> right. Let's finish off with a quick fire round. Just a handful of questions, just to have the crack. So, this is one I've been asking people lately. What is your job title in three words or less? Uh, musician, uh, mm-hmm. artist, publican. 
public. Oh yeah, fair enough, public. Yeah, yeah. I thought you said Republican there for a second. I was <laughs> like, oh, I, not I. We have a situation. Uh, no, no, no. Good stuff. So musician, artist, publican, love it. Um, is there any words that you find hard pronouncing? Do you know something when I'm doing interviews, I seem to make a mess of about 40 words, you know, because they just trip over my tongue. So yeah. I'd say, uh, you know yourself, when you go live on things, your mouth starts to do different things. Uh, oh, yeah, that's the best way I've ever heard that. Put your mouth just does stuff that it, 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 of its own accord entirely. <laughs> So, so that, I know, so yeah, there's a lot of words. Yeah. A lot of words, grand, yeah. So just just any given word at, at, at any given time. Yeah. Uh, on that note, what is your favourite word? My favourite word, I would say, um, preparation, because it's all yes. about that. Yeah, love it. Um, what would your 12-year-old self think of you? Uh, I'd say he would be pleasantly surprised. You know, you, you know, you, probably the little cocky side of him would think, "How come you're not as big as the Beatles?" But then, uh, you know, the uh, the re- more realistic side of him would think, "Oh, well, it's cool that you were in the charts a few times and you've done such and such." And yeah, so I think he'd be okay. But um, he he was quite quite fussy, so I'd probably end up giving him a slap. <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. Um, <laughs> what's your go-to drink? Ooh, I know you're fond of Dal Jaeger. I know, but it's not actually my go-to. I don't walk into a pub and go, six acre! <laughs> uh, no, it's hard. Really, it's cliched, but it's hard to beat a really good pint of Guinness. Uh, you can't bet it. Yeah, honest no. to God, you cannot bet it. Um, yeah. Uh, did, did you used to take... Uh, oh, that's my camera gone now. Don't worry, I'm still here. Uh, did you used to take Jägermeister for your throat, was it? No, no, just... Um, <laughs> just, know, <laughs> just just for the crack. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> No, we used we used to get shots of sambuca um, to yeah. clear your throat um, because it was hard and sore singing for five hours a night. Oh, as I'm yeah. sure you would have remembered yourself. I'll just turn the camera back on here now. Um, right, we'll do two more questions. If you could afford any car, what would you have? Oh, I probably would like one of those late sixties Rolls Royces. You know, the classic late sixties Rolls, uh, yes. or maybe like an early seventies green Mustang. Oh, um, one of the big proper like four or six liter yeah you know destroyers yeah but, uh, yeah I, I really like vintage cars for some reason i know same here i i, I couldn't agree with you more i'd have like a, a capri or oh, something yes. like that oh, yes. yeah like so, something class like that i can't or, wait uh, for the midlife crisis to kick in when i finally pull into the drive and Kara looks out the window and i'm pulling in in an old spluttering mustang yeah, you know? yeah and i'm, or, I'm or 51 a, years old and going look at me i'm living the dream <laughs> <laughs> or a DeLorean or something like yeah, that. And you can't fit any shopping in the back, you know, you're <laughs> stark or kids or anything, you know, it's like, fuck them. I've got yeah. my Mustang. You know? That was always, that was always a thing I was going to do when I was a kid. I was going to get like a, a Mustang or a Corvette and put a drawbar on the back of it. So I can have like my horse box pulling all my gear around the gigs and stuff. <laughs> um, finally then, Rory, what would you be doing if you weren't a musician slash artist slash publican slash Republican? <laughs> Uh, I would probably either be on the dole or I would be uh, a writer. And, and I'm actually, I'm really tempted with all these flights, four hour flights I have to Lanzarote over the next year to uh, to start writing a book called How to Not Succeed in the Music Business. Oh, Just yeah, kind of, like a, a jokey kind of a thing of like everything that went wrong because I kind of always I prefer those stories where it doesn't work out. <laughs> yeah, do it. 
Definitely do it. Um, <laughs> people will buy it. I'd buy it 100%. Um, and you can publish things nowadays on Amazon uh, like in half an hour. Uh, so yeah, do it. Just start start writing it. Start start dictating it to yourself and uh, yeah. it'll, it'll like all, all transcribe it. Um, Imagine yeah, that, the person that, that, beside me on the plane, <laughs> this lunatic <laughs> sitting beside them with a travel G&T going, and then fucking Axel Rose said to me, you <laughs> And Sting said, you're not a bollocks. And I said, Sting, listen. <laughs> Don't stand anyway. so close to me, you fucking wanker. <laughs> brilliant. Brilliant, brilliant, brilliant. Right, Rory, I tell you what, let's wrap it up there. Where can people find you before we go? Uh, they can find me on Rory and the Island. Just Google it and you'll you'll find the website or the Facebook, which I'm mostly on. I'm not... I definitely haven't got the hang of I was told to get into TikTok, but I just can't yep. be dealing with it. I feel like I need to be 17 and on Skittles. No, so, you uh, do not. Trust me. Listen to uh, Meg Legrand's podcast. She's got she's got TikTok absolutely nailed. Just do <laughs> shit on it. Just don't, just don't even think about it. Just I, I'm going to start doing it. I'm just going to start filming um, me doing anything. I'm going I'm <laughs> to go back inside now and get a coffee, and I'm going to film myself coming out to the studio because I've set up a, an Alexa thing that if you've ever played The Legend of Zelda, when he takes the Master Sword <laughs> out of the thing, it's the, it's this mental music so I've yeah. got Alexa hooked up to turn on all my lights so I'm going to tell her to turn on the lights and it's going to be this mental music and I'm going to put that on TikTok <laughs> so um, and it's nothing to do with anything but people go fucking mental for that sort of shit so um, yeah do it so yeah, apart from, apart from TikTok, Rory and the Island, Google it, you'll find me somewhere. You know? Yeah, sorry, I completely not really took over that. But <laughs> you're all right. Yeah. My podcast, I do what a fuck Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Listen, Rory, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on. Thanks, oh, thanks Barry. Thank you so much. That was the Music Career Show. Thank you for listening. Don't forget to subscribe, leave a review, and tell your friends about the Music Career Show.